Greetings, spectacular fans. I owe you an explanation. We recorded this the same night that we recorded our fan panel on accomplices well over a year ago. As such, some of the references coming up in the show are dated. Scheduling this podcast for the last year has been difficult. Zach has been busy, I have been busy, and Greg Wiseman himself has been busy on a little show called Young Justice. But we think things are back on track now. We do have a an interview recorded for Gangland. should be ready to post shortly. And I hope you enjoy the show. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And feel free to contact us at spectacularradio at gmail.com and we'll read your emails and reply during the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. getting the look. Tell me there's something better. Go ahead. Try. Chugging along here on Spectacular Radio, we are back with another exciting fan panel. I'm Zach Joyner, and this is a new episode of Spectacular Radio. I am your friendly neighborhood host and webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com, but I am not the host of this show, no, sir. I'm just simply the co-host and the introductor. Yes, the host of this show is Mr. Greg Bashansky. Greg, welcome to your own show. Thank you. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. It's catchy. Yeah. I mean, aren't you excited about that new Spider-Man movie that's coming out? Actually, I kind of am. Mysterio looks pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's far from home. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Mysterio. I've been waiting for him to get to the movies for a while. For a while, I feel he lends himself to the big screen, especially with all the special effects. I like the nods to Sandman and Hydro Man that we've seen. There you go. And hey, more Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury is always fine. I mean, too bad uh, the Night King killed Tony Stark recently, so... Exactly. It is a game of thrones. Yes, it is. It is. It is. And uh, we don't have any emails or voicemails, but Zach, where can they reach us? 818-925-6631 is 818-9-CLONE-1 if you want to be on the program. It's uh, our voicemail for all of our shows from Spectacular Radio, CSC, and Mayday Mondays. So if you like any of those shows, be sure to leave us a, a voicemail and we'll play it on the respective shows. We also have our email address, which is spectacularradio at gmail.com. Listen to all those other shows, folks. They're good, and I'm not just saying them because I'm on at least one of them. There you go. I believe I'm not. I'm not that in love with myself. I'm really not in love with myself at all. So there you go. So Gre- Greg, what uh, what episode are we covering this time? Uh, before we do that, I need to ask, what did you think about Spider Verse? Because we it occurred to me we haven't discussed it yet, and you know we're Spider Man. We are a Spider Man podcast, and this thing just won the Oscar for best animated picture. We discuss animated Spidey shows. We should talk about this. Um, look, I enjoyed it. Um, I've watched it twice 
Um, I didn't watch it in theaters, but I watched it on um, DVD, and um, I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a fun it was a fun ride. It was really fun. I pre- especially appreciate it on a technical level. I, I liked all the blends of different animation styles. I didn't even, they had to invent new animation styles to make this thing work. From what I read, I mean, they they put a lot of thought and care into it. And I'll be the first to admit, I've never before this movie, I've never really cared about Miles Morales. I never had anything against him. Just let me get this off, get this out of the way. I mean, I appreciated what he represented to so many different fans and so many different types of fans from across the spectrum. I appreciated that my lack of interest was due, was mostly due to the fact that I'm not really a fan of Brian Michael Bendis' work. It's nothing to do with anything else. I'm glad he exists. I mean, and I applauded them for doing that. I just felt like my personal interest wasn't there. But I really enjoyed the character in this movie. I enjoyed his family. I enjoyed his dynamics with the, with the other Spider-Man characters and... I'll, I would happily watch a sequel of this movie featuring him again. Yep, I would too. I, I you know, I uh, it, it made me like Miles better uh, in this in this adaptation than I've liked him in the six one six. I think it, it worked in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I have a friend who's a f- huge fan of Miles who has told me that he thought that Miles worked better back when it was the Ultimate Universe instead of trying to integrate him into six one six. Yep, but um. That's what they're trying to do now, and I'll admit I haven't read much of it because I'm not, I haven't really kept up too much with modern Spidey comics, although I am reading Nick Spencer's stuff now. I just bought the first two trades, and I did like them, so we'll see what happens. It's good stuff. It is. And, and, and hey, Miles is a cool character. He's my third favorite Spidey ca- Spider character. One being Peter, because I love Peter Parker. I grew up with Peter, and two being, M- two being Mayday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Well, except uh, she's she's my third favorite. Oh, that's right. I forgot to mention Ben Riley. So. And I'm on CSC. Shame on me. Shame on me. Shame on you. So Shame. No, I, I like Shame. I said, I give it a B, a B plus. Um, it was a good it was a good film. Uh, like I say, a good introduction to the character of of Miles, and and uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was all good stuff. I really like the, their use of Kingpin, also. Yeah, um, I, I like how they used Richard and Vanessa. Mm-hmm. And I liked uh, I liked that version of Doc Ock quite a bit as well. I did not see that come in. I mean, I, I'm actually glad they made that change. They did, and it wasn't Otto. Because the moment you hear the name Otto, I'm like, okay, okay, where? When's it coming? This I, I enjoyed being shocked. Yeah. I mean, I, I did see the movie in theaters, so, I mean, by the time Zach saw it, he may have been aware of Live Octavius. Yeah, unfortunately, I got spoiled. Actually, very, very, you know, very, very late in the game. Very, very late. I avoided spoilers for the most part. And um, I really enjoyed the character of uh, the Prowler in this, his uncle. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it, too. Preferred, I would prefer it to be Hobie, but... You know, well, considering this movie was all about Miles, I had to give Miles a personal connection, so I'm fine with that. I mean, we have Hobie on this show, but um, I give the movie an A plus. I'm glad. I mean, congratulations on winning best animated feature. I mean, it was well earned. I mean, you guys beat Pixar. Pixar are Academy darlings. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The Academy often makes some really stupid choices, or we'll just see who who. 
they'll, they'll make choices based on Hollywood politics. I'm not talking about politics, politics, Hollywood politics, or um, who they know, who's friends with who, or sometimes they don't even watch the movies of Rodin on, but they watched this movie. The fact that they didn't give it to a Pixar movie over this, because Pixar's been in the Academy of Darling since it started, tells me that these people watched it and recognized the, it for the achievement that it is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know what? Let's be honest. None of the live-action Spider-Man movies are ever going to win Best Picture anything, so... True story. This, I mean, look, uh, outside of this show, Sony has really been swinging and missing when it comes to Spider-Man and um, after Spider-Man 3, because I think Spider-Man 3 is not that bad of a film. Um, I enjoyed it, but far more than most. But outside of that film, I mean, most of Sony's attempts at Spider-Man have been pretty bad. And it's, the thing is, it's not that hard. This this show, Spectacular Spider-Man, was a Sony product also. You do just do what you did with Spectac- Spectacular. You get a team that cares. And keep Amy Pascal away from it. Amy, Amy Pascal. Yeah, I mean, I read those documents. Ugh. Yeah. Mm, yeah. The less that, the better. Moving on. Moving on, we'll dive into the episode itself, Probable Cause. In an abandoned warehouse, Shocker fights against two armored foes. This is all just a training exercise, however, as the Tinkerers provided Montana's teammates, the Enforcers, with their own powered armor. Fancy Down is now the super-fast ricochet, and Ox is still Ox. (laughs) Okay, so this is this is a subtle subtle um, thing that most people didn't realize. The enforcers were upgraded to the new enforcers in the 1990s during Web of Spider-Man number 97 through issue 100. They weren't the original enforcers; they were these new characters, but they were like cybernetically enhanced. In fact, some of the color scheme was purple and blue, like it was in this episode. Uh huh. The test is a success as Tombstone is impressed with how effective the suits are. On the other hand, Tombstone is not impressed with Hammerhead, since he failed to get the Rhino specs and take control of the oil tanker. Tombstone has decided to leave his right-hand man out of the loop. Spidey arrives at Midtown High and just barely avoids being discovered by Hobie Brown, at the cost of falling into some garbage. Smelling less than sweet, Peter sitting by himself for most of Captain Stacy's class. Stacy reveals that the students will be paired up and go on a police ride-along. The pairing is, is from names out of a hat, so Flash is upset when he gets paired with Harry Osborne and Hobie is paired with Shashan. Liz and Gwen are paired up, as are Mary Jane and Mark Allen, leaving Peter with Sally Avril. Yeah. All right, Peter bemoans the turn of events while web-slinging and notices a hole in the roof of the Metro Bank. Investigating, he finds the new enforcers hard at work breaking into the vault. They make short work of the webhead and escape with several bags. Norman Osborn meets the Hammerhead, who wants more supervillains for the big man. Osborn agrees, telling the Hammerhead that he has a new scientist who's a perfect match for the job, saying that he has the qualities that are befitting of a leader, and speculating that the big man and Hammerhead have those qualities as well. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Peter shows up for the ride-along, invoking more of Sally's wrath. MJ and Mark hit it off, but back with Peter, things are not going smoothly. Sally blames Peter for upsetting Midtown's social order by dating Liz, while they observe the police looking through the aftermath of Spidey's fight with the new enforcers. The police find that a whole... The adjacent dry cleaners was covered up, meaning that the bank is just a cover-up. As it turns out, the new enforcer's real target was a set of Federal Reserve uniforms, which they used to get inside by pretending to be bringing in a shipment of gold bars. Montana disables the elevator kill switch, and they don't, and they don their equipment. Captain Stacy gets word of what was stolen while Harry confronts Flash. Harry is frustrated that Flash has been giving him the cold shoulder, which Flash reveals is because Harry left, leaving Hobie to take his place on the team. If Harry had been at the championship, Flash figures he wouldn't have busted his knee. Harry reveals his Glabulin Green addiction to, Fla to Flash is furious. The games Harry played in would be disqualified if anybody found out. The new enforcers fight their way past security and descend the elevator. Outside, Captain Stacy tells Sally and Peter that they'll be safe in the police mobile command center. But Peter convinces the captain to let him snap some pictures from behind the van. The enforcers enter the gold vaults, and Shocker blasts the elevator shaft to stop anybody from coming after them. While he then sets about blasting open an escape route, Ox and Ricochet begin preparing to move the gold. Spidey arrives on the scene and lets Captain Stacy know that Shocker and his gang are behind the ongoing robbery and forces the elevator doors open. Unfortunately for Spidey, the enforcers see him coming courtesy of a rerouted security feed. Ricochet is launched up to the elevator shaft by Ox and Shocker and bats Spidey around. Spider-Man manages to shake him off, though, and parachutes down the rest of the way with his weapon. Ricochet manages to get a sneak attack in, however, alerting Shocker to Spidey's presence, while Ox loads up the waiting subway car that's serving as her getaway. Shocker and Ricochet keep Spidey busy, then bury him under a pile of gold bars, and Shocker decides that it's too risky to stick around, not wanting to lose the big man's take of the gold. Spidey follows the subway car and keeps fighting the enforcers until he's beaten senseless. This is just a ploy as Spidey manages to catch them by surprise and tosses the cart of gold out of the front window causing the car to tip over. The enforcers manage to get away unscathed and with only a few of the bars. Topside, Sally complains about having to wait before the van is ambushed by Shocker. Shocker gets cover for Ox and Ricochet, but quickly gets into another fight with Spidey. In the fight, the van where Peter kept his camera is blown up, leaving Sally to believe Peter has been killed. Shocker is about to finish off Spidey before his gauntlets malfunction. Deciding to take care of the bug some other time, Shocker jumps onto another getaway car with the other enforcers only for it to run over by a spike trap set by Hammerhead's driver, no less, leaving them in the hands of the police. Sally is convinced that Peter was blown to bits after no body is found, but Peter shows up, claiming he went to the bathroom. This infuriates Sally because she was so worried. At Midtown, Principal Davis removes the championship trophy and is now under review. While the football team blames Harry, Flash comes forward as the one who spilled about Harry juicing. While this alienates Flash's friends for the time being, it catches Shashan's attention. Harry is worse off, though, as he opens up a stash of globulin green in his bedroom. As the shadow reveals the green goblin. <laughs> Alright, Greg, your thoughts? My thoughts are that Flash is definitely the unsung hero of this entire show. Yeah. I love the way Flash is used. We'll talk more about that also in the next episode, but... I mean, there was no reason for him to do what he did. Yeah, um, you know, it shows the heart of gold that lies under his prickly exterior. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we never saw with any of the other adapt any other adaptation of Spider-Man with Flash. It's always been, you know, Flash is just the bully or a jackass like he is in the current MCU. Yeah, I mean, uh, I hope they give that version of Flash some dimension at some point. I hope. I'm not counting on them to do it, but I hope they do it. I don't trust... <laughs> I don't... As long as Sony's involved, I don't trust it. I tend to agree, sadly. But, um, but no, this Flash, I mean, a very three-dimensional character. I mean, yeah, he's a bully, but he's also, at heart, is a heroic guy. He just has a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. A lot of maturing to do, and he's on the right path. True story. Harry, on the other hand, is on a much darker path. Yes. Which, uh, <laughs> which we'll discuss more of as, as things keep going. And also, bringing some dimension to Sally Avril. I mean, this sort of thing is important. I mean, if you're going to have a long-running series, characters can't just be one note. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter how effective that note can be, you need to add more to them because at a certain point they cease being the character and become a caricature. I mean, and Sally was, let's face it, prone to caricatureness up until now. And I always thought she was hilarious, mostly because I thought that, that Joyzy accent that Gray Griffin gave her was just. I mean, if you're from New York, that sort of thing is hilarious. Yes. I mean, the whole New York versus Joyzy thing, I mean... Well, it's like Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, that's that's how it goes with us. Oh, between you two, I'm definitely on Texas' side. Oklahoma is just... Uh... Yeah. But no, but no Sal- Sally develops quite a bit, and what did you think of that? Um, no, I, I you know, Sally caring about Peter, I think, I think that as Peter, as this series has evolved, I think Peter's importance to the people around him. He's not a bad guy. He's just, you know, too smart for his own good. And, and you know, um, he's got a heart of gold underneath. Yeah, I mean, also, if you face if you look at the, at, say, the old 60s comics, I can see why the other kids didn't like Peter. He often does come off. like He, he was a jackass, yeah, especially in the Dicko run. <laughs> Everyone's a jackass in the Dicko run. But, but like, Peter especially, like, like he had head-up-ass syndrome throughout the entire Ditko run. I'm like, it was like, once he got to college and, and, and Lee started writing him, he started writing him more, as being far more outgoing. Whereas with Ditko, it was a reflection of Ditko. Ditko's a very antisocial human being. Uh-huh. You know, you know, whereas Stan was not an antisocial human being. Um, Stan was very, you know, he, he loved being the life of the party, so to speak. Indeed, indeed. I have my anti-social days, I have my social days, so I get both viewpoints on this, but, um, but no, I mean, like, I'm just glad they're bringing dimension to so many characters. Flash started getting this dimension close to the end. Around the second half of season one, Sally's now finally getting it. Too bad it doesn't really pay off any time after this, but I suppose you could say that Sally has also been a loyal friend to Liz, even if she doesn't agree with Liz's choices. I mean, which is fine. I mean, how many of your friends have you always agreed with all of their choices? I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> I mean, I 
wasn't asking for specifics, but nobody does all the time because if you do, then you're not really a friend; you are a follower. Yeah. The new enforcers. I've. I remember there were some people who actually complained about this when this aired, saying that it missed the point of the enforcers. But on the other hand, what what do you expect them just to keep doing the same thing and keep getting their asses kicked? It kind of makes sense that in a world where S- Spider Man is around and now. He, too much less worry about supervillains that he would want to upgrade his his own guys. Yeah. Let's just face it: this the tactical the tactical suits and the batons and just some martial arts aren't going to aren't going to cut it anymore. I mean, it's the sort of thing that say Greg did on Gargoyles. He took some has-been villains from his first season and then his second season, he which you mentioned before, he did actually upgrade them with cybernetic implants and genetic modifications, which did stick, but because he believed that villains should get stronger as they appear, not become familiar, ho-hum, or easy to defeat. Which is why when some people say that Spidey should be able to beat the Sinister Six in his sleep, I kind of roll my eyes because that diminishes them as villains. The villains should be upgrading their equipment and the things that they use each time. Absolutely. And uh, Tombstone and Hammerhead's relationship has changed as well, which we saw the beginnings of in the Uncertainty Principle last season, and this isn't that far consequences <laughs> moving in through the... I mean, I feel like we're in the home stretch now. I mean, especially with Norman Osborn scheming. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is Norman Osborn at his Machiavellian best. Um, again, I think this is probably the best portrayal of Norman Osborn in terms of the complete portrayal of Norman that we had seen. Um, in the 90s show, Nor- Norman was very much a flunky. He wasn't the billion, you know, he wasn't the scheming, um, all-encompassing threat that he becomes with um, with the 90s. Yeah. We'll definitely talk about that more when we get to Final Curtain, but I love that scene with him and Hammerhead. Yeah, Hammerhead is in theory there to hire him to create more supervillains, but Norman is already planting seeds and manipulating the guy, with, and it's so subtle. Yeah. Also, I do like that they imported in Norman's mask collection from the Rider movies. Yes, always, always, always fun to see those things, those subtle little things that if you didn't, if you're not a huge fan of Spidey, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't catch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love if they did that in the comics. If next time we see Norman, he's got a big mask collection. I mean, granted, yeah. the last time we saw Norman was uh, not exactly as shining power. I mean, uh, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing they did with him. Let's take the Carnage symbiote and combine it on Norman Osborn. I'd argue that the super adaptoid shit that that uh, Bendis did was even worse, but uh, again, ugh. Anyway, anyway, yeah, moving anyway, on. Anyway, moving on, moving on. You, you know what? Every time we bash modern comics, we should put a dollar in a jar. Yeah, we'd have a lot of dollars. Um, no, I again, I think this is a this is a very good middle part to a three part arc. Um, this kind of raises the stakes a little bit, kind of creates a little bit more. Um, of a, uh, of a of 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 it starting to rise, obviously we'll get to that next episode when we cover Gangland. Indeed, and I also I, and I'm a sucker for movies or TV shows where they attempt to rob the Federal Reserve. I mean, I love Die Hard of the Vengeance, and I I, I, I love National Treasure. I mean, wait, what? We're going to rob the Declaration of Independence. No, no, we're talking about the Federal Reserve in New York, the Gold Depository. Oh, oh, oh. 
Yeah, so the Unfortunates are there stealing, you know, like in Die Hard of the Vengeance, what Simon Gruber was after. And I'm going to be playing when Johnny comes walking home again throughout this podcast. Hans Gruber was better. Hans Gruber was better, I agree, but Simon was fun, too. There uh, you go. But I, I'll take Alan Rickman, the late, great Alan Rickman, over Jeremy Irons any day of the week. Sorry, Scar. <laughs> We won't talk about the controversy with Scar looking not like Scar, the new Lion King movie. But I anyway. have not seen that trailer. I'm I'm fundamentally against these live action adaptations of animated classics. So um. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Anyway, no. Uh, but I will be getting paying six ninety nine a month for for Disney Plus. Oh yes, yeah, so that we'll, is happening. So will I. I'll be doing that too. All the Marvel stuff is going to be on there, and all the classic Disney stuff, all the MCU stuff, all the Star Wars movies. It's going to be a, it's going to be fun. Maybe this show. Well, no, maybe, possibly. Um, I don't know, and I doubt. Correct. If they buy, if they buy Sony, then it's no longer a problem. If they buy, well, Disney's going to buy the world at some point. So, I, I still have been on record saying that uh, before the end of this year. Um, there will be you will start to hear rumblings of Sony being bought by Disney, or they're going to buy the uh, rights of Spider-Man outright. And we'll see. I mean, honestly, I mean, Sony. I mean, this whole thing with Sony. Yeah, Sony has made some really bad decisions, but I'm not entirely sure I'm comfortable with one company owning that much of the. Well, they would only own the studio, the the movie studio. They wouldn't own like the TV, the Sony TV. I know, but you know, monopolies aren't a good thing. I know it's technically not a monopoly yet, but uh, to, to me, the the problem that you have is is that first of all, what does Sony have? Spider Man and Men in Black. Uh huh. James That's Bond. It. And, that, no, they no longer have the distribution's right to James Bond. I did not know that. Um, so they don't have Bond. They don't have. Uh, they have Ghostbusters. That, those are the three things. And and Twenty One Jump Street. But outside well, of those, Twenty One Jump Street. But outside of those three things, I mean, the Men in Black. Technically, Men in Black is is technically a Marvel property. Most uh-huh. people don't know. I did. Uh, the Malibu. Well, we talk about Malibu a lot on CSC, but they were actually it was actually a Malibu comic. Um, but they've always had something in active development, so it's no longer an issue. But if they bought Sony, it wouldn't it would you know certainly put Men in Black you know back in a back at Marvel so to speak. Uh, it would also look I, to me. Uh, am I comfortable with it? No, but I think it would be for Spider-Man fans getting Sony out of the way mm-hmm. um, is not a bad thing. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you there. I, I guess I, I just had conversations like this when the whole thing with Fox was going through, and um, yeah, I wanted the action of the FF back there, but I was also thinking, should Disney be this powerful? The problem is is that it's not just Disney that's doing this. I mean, AT&T buying DirecTV um, and then turn around and buying uh, HBO and... and things along those lines uh it's it's getting it's getting very very interesting uh because apple is starting to come in and with their own services um with their apple tv uh look i have an apple tv i love my apple tv um if i didn't love seeing shows live and recording them 
I would I would cut the cord myself. I have you know the device is powerful enough to do that. Um, I'll be using Disney Plus on my Apple TV, but um, at the same time, you got Netflix, you've got Apple. There's a lot of other other Amazon. Um, it's just media is changing, and it's going to be very interesting to see how everything shakes out. Well, we'll see going forward. I mean, ultimately, though, that's a much larger discussion than our two minds are capable of. I mean, we can talk Spidey, but... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I could talk about the mergers and stuff like that, like a Time Warner and AT&T and, and things like that. But, but you know, that's that's definitely a business-related podcast. You should check that out. Oh, there's plenty out there, plenty of good ones. Check them out. Uh, again, um, I feel like I've been a broken record of the last three fan panels, or last two fan panels. It's very action-packed. Um, but I like how... It addresses some of the ongoing issues of the show. Harry getting taking the Goblin Green, Flash, you know, showing that he has character and is willing to bite the bullet uh, over something that he was very proud of. But it, to, for, for Flash, it's also a little bit of selfishness because he wasn't actively involved in that in that game. I mean, obviously he got hurt, um, and him being hurt resulted in. You know him. You know them losing. Uh, so there is a little bit of selfishness in there, but also, I, I, well, I, no, I no, they won that game that he got hurt in, and that's the trophy. No, no, that's what I'm saying is is that I think that it, I still think he feels like it was tainted because he got hurt. Does that make sense? Maybe. I'm, I, I mean, um, I, I think he was proud of the fact that they won, but I think he would have been more proud of it if he had been healthy throughout the entire game and also, won. And prior to that, I mean, also Harry playing on effectively steroids. I mean, that's a no-no. Yeah, obviously. I would assume the, I would assume the NFL has rules against that now, too. Uh, yes, uh, the NFL has, has had a pretty rigorous drug testing policy um, that has been in effect for a long time. Yeah, I know Major League Baseball had a scandal a few years ago. Well, the problem with the Major League Baseball was that everybody was doing some sort of juice. Um, uh, and it was mainly these, these power hitters that, I mean, if you look at Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds one of the best hitters of all time. But Barry Bonds, before pre-steroids, was a pretty skinny, pretty gaunt, um, pretty athletic player. And then he started taking steroids, and then he was hitting, you know, 74 home runs a season. And... Now uh, it looks like he'll get in the Hall of Fame eventually, but it definitely tainted what you know those records were. And and baseball is a little bit different than than like other sports because baseball is a very numbers related sport. Um, it's very much about analytics and stats and things like that, whereas other sports don't necessarily rely on that. It's simply just you know. Uh, uh, it, baseball is all about its stats and all about its records and all about the integrity of the game. And so um, the NFL has had its steroid abusers uh, in the past, but never to the pr point of being so prolific like it was in Major League Baseball. So, like I say, I think uh, I, I like Flash's development here. I like, uh, I like how they separated the characters and gave them kind of their own mini arcs. I like, you know, 
Sally Averill actually doing something other than being annoying. Uh, um, and also, what do you think of how the uh, Liz and Peter relationship has developed? I know that was a negative earlier on in the season. Um, it was, but you know, I think that Liz, I think Liz likes Peter for Peter, and that's refreshing. Mm-hmm. But I, I still, I still feel like that the Gwen stuff was very, very slow played. Yeah, Peter's gonna blow it all very soon. Of course, that's what Peter does. That's what he does best. I mean, that's why we love him, because let's face it, we all go through life blowing things. True story. True story. Mm-hmm. So. That's why he's the everyman hero. That's why there's always there's a little bit of Peter Parker in all of us. And um, mm-hmm. I like how they... Uh, I love Norman's line about how he found a new scientist who's not afraid to make the world his. And I'm thinking, you know, Norman, Otto's really not afraid to make the world his. He's just out from under your thumb. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Miles Warren is a magnificent bastard. Yeah, he is. We're going to be seeing more of that, not next episode, but the episode after. Mm, there you go. So, um, I, I have to give, I guess we got to give grades to wrap the show up. Um, I'll give this one a B. It's all a B. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, it, it doesn't blow your socks away, but it, it definitely is one of the better, um, Look, this series is consistent. I mean, I know Gerard's given it C's, but I mean that's the lowest. When I mean, that's the lowest grades we give, yeah, on, he, a, on a show, that's and, pretty good. Yeah, even when Gerard, Gerard gives it C's, he's still pretty damn positive about the show. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, when he gives when he gives C's, it's not oh this show sucks. It's more like I expect better from this show because he knows what this team he has seen what this team is capable of. He sees that from his perspective that things can be better better than they already are if he feels disappointed by something there. Yep. I mean, that's um, not a case like, say, um, I'm putting a dollar in a jar right now, modern comics where... Yeah, no, that's true. Very true. Where he's he's basically, like, threatened me with an inch of my life and I'd never make him read a modern comic again. As he should. As he should. All right, so... But, um, let's see. Before we go, I do enjoy... Te- Montana Shocker's Texan Drawl. How do you feel about that? He had some pretty good ones this episode. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Montana being a Texan does not... Uh, uh, you know, more Texas uh, is always a good thing. I like to think that his bar somewhere in the big sky, he has a uh, big Texas flag behind the bar. Kind of like the Texas flag that's behind my head right now. Nice, nice. Uh, I've got a big classic vintage poster of Transformers, the movie from 1986, on my wall. Yeah, well, my flag flew over the state capitol, so... Mine has Leonard Nimoy's Galvatron on it, and Orson Welles' Unicron. (laughs) Okay, Uh, you win. (laughs) You win. You win. And also, only time we can really mention him, Danny Trejo is the voice of Ox in this, and I fucking love that. Yes. Danny Trejo. Yeah, he'll go on to voice Bane in Young Justice, but I, I I love Danny Trejo. Even though Machete's a pretty stupid movie, he still makes it so watchable. Yeah, yeah. And I met the guy once. Really cool guy. He has a story about every one of his tattoos. Those all came from prison. He used to be a pretty big criminal before he went to prison and decided to become an actor instead. Yeah, yeah. Cool guy, cool guy. <laughs> cool guy. So... 
shows that uh, even if you become a prisoner, you can get out on the other side. So, Zach, you tell your prisoners about Danny Trejo. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. But the less I talk to them, the better. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that wraps up. This, we're going to start wrapping this episode up. Uh, if you, again, to remind you, if you want to be part of the program, you can always leave us a voicemail at 818-925-6631. That's 818-9-CLONE-1. For any and all of the shows on the Spidey Dude Radio Network, Greg, where can they leave an email? SpectacularRadio at gmail.com. And we're about to enter the last episode of um, the Gang War arc before we enter the final arc. We're in, we're fast approaching the home stretch here. And I'm, we're hoping that Jard will be back soon because I hear he's just found the Holy Grail and saved it from Nazis. Nine! So join us next time when we cover Gangland. Montana is Shocker, and Fancy Dan is Ricochet. What do we... Ox. That works. <laughs>